Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Will. Guys, 50. We did it. Woohoo! <laughs> I was trying to figure out what I was going to say and I was just like, well, I'll just say it. We did it. We're at 50. Seems like a milestone. It is a milestone. Yeah. If this isn't a milestone, I don't know what is because I think about Oh, right before we'll jump on the show as a regular, it was like, are we going to keep doing this or are we just kind of going to be sporadic? Oh, no, dude, we're, we're here. We're in it now. Um, and, and we've changed quite a bit over this uh, time. I don't know. What's it been? A couple years almost. Uh, we're, we're coming up on our two year mark in February. Let's yeah. talk about the growth. Let's talk about like, you oh. know, how you guys started it. <laughs> My gosh. So growth, growth is uh, important. Nick, um, after, I don't know, I guess we, we met on the cruise and then he kept texting me about starting a podcast and I was like, you know, it's a lot of work and like, you have to be consistent and like, I was willing (laughs) I was in and I realized has to do is talk. Okay. Exactly. I I didn't know that before. I did not know that ahead of time. And I didn't realize how much work it was going to be for Marshall. Because he kept saying this we thing. It wasn't a we thing. It was a you thing. That never turned into an I thing for you. Until it was too late. But I feel like now I, uh, I've i delegated a bit. Um, once we brought Will on, we got some structure, some organization. And um, and I think all the, well. Not to say we were organized before. No, dude. It was just on. a little bit spitballing. We were barely we were barely getting together in time for me to for us to record it and me to turn it around and edit it and and get uh, it out consistently. So the fact that we have been I don't want to I don't want to jinx it, but we have been consistently every other week now for months. Yeah. Um which I'm pretty proud of. We've had some amazing interviews um and uh some and the beginning of at least one of our potential rotating guests, uh, Brent Lambert, who has joined us multiple times uh, over the last uh, couple months. Marshall, you mean to tell me that you guys not only had a new co-host, but you're going to have rotating guests on the shows too? <laughs> uh, yes. Sure. Are you an audience member all of a sudden? Because you're part of this, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, look, I'm on behalf of the audience here. Yes, you guys. You heard that right. So I, part of the growth thing, right? We added Will to the show. One, we brought Will on just to have good conversations because we were already doing that offline. Mm-hmm. Bringing Will on was a game changer, if you the will. The greatest thing ever. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Pat yourself on the back there. <laughs> the, it was the second greatest decision we made. The first one was to start the podcast. The second mm-hmm. was to get an actual producer. <laughs> well, getting someone that could like honestly text us and make us do things because between me and Nick, it was, well, should, I don't feel like recording this week. All right, we won't. And it's like, you know, should we get an interview? I don't know who we would do. You know, it's like, it was just a constant, like the two of us, there was no, no oomph, you know, and we'll provide the oomph. And accountability. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And accountability. And, and I think that's something that we, maybe you guys can see in their episodes and whatnot. Um, <laughs> But I mean, for as long as we did, Marshall, just you and I, I think we did it pretty good. We went pretty far. Yeah. I mean, we pretty we much went have all- 35 episodes. Yeah. I mean, and look, yeah. 
we that's astounding. And we got it to the where we were doing every other week. We were starting to get more consistent. We were just trying. We were kind of spinning our wheels on what we wanted the show to evolve into because mm-hmm. what I've learned from podcasting and listening to podcasts and creating podcasts and helping students do it is that eventually the podcast will evolve into something that you didn't expect. Right. And yeah. I'm, I'm happy with where we're at and the fact that we're at episode 50 and we've got uh, interviews coming up, we've got um, book deep dives, um, you know, craft, craft uh, episodes and stuff coming up and, and it's, it's exciting and it's fun and the community is awesome and the discord is still rocking and, um, and I, 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 and people are giving us money, which I'm going to talk about in a minute when we, when we're done with this, but it's, it's exciting. All right. The, the time, the timing of bringing well on to kind of evolve was absolutely needed because I think for 35 episodes and for a while there, we were doing once a week, we kind of, we didn't, we maximized what we could talk about on our own. Um, and, and I think we we have always wanted to have more guests. We always wanted to do deep dives and things like that. But I mean, at the time, full time working, family, school, you name it. You know, we didn't have the, the extra motivation behind it. Enter Will, who's an avid reader beyond anyone's reasonable comprehension there. Um, who has, I who has I, I'm sorry. And no offense. He doesn't have a, a, a family and stuff to bog him down. Like, like we get bogged down sometimes. It's just the dance classes, the school, <laughs> the makeup, you know, the hair. Well, you're one of the busiest people I know. And probably one of the better time managers that I've met. The fact that you do all the things you do as far as what you do for a living on top of, you know, fitness and writing and everything else that you do is if you had children and stuff on top of that, I've, I, I, I'm interested to see what kind of human you would be, but I feel like we all balance each other pretty well at this point, but oh, yeah. 100%. Me. I mean, we've heard lots of stories about Nick being the new dad with these three <laughs> kids and, you know, it's been a balancing act. Okay. And Behind then the Waldorf. Scenes. Steve Stop. Waldorf, aka Marshall. Oh, oh yeah, I got these animals. I got these kids. Because <laughs> oh Marshall has like chickens. I'm Look surprised he doesn't have like cow and sheep. Um, <laughs> Next, in a year from now, I'll have a full fledged farm. Probably, who knows? Hey, that's my goal. I want a horse. I'll stop it with the horses. Oh, you get right. out. How about the so goat? Anyway, we're at well, this looking- point now, and I'm really, I'm really happy with where we're at, and I feel like. This intro is going to be a little more silly, probably because of when we're recording this, but also just how we feel about where we're at, guys. And we're deep into December. Um, It's going to be 2021 soon. And um, we're here to intro an amazing interview we did with uh, Jennifer Udden um, a couple months ago, actually. And and I'm going to let Will kind of elaborate on that part of it here in just a minute, but we're here to talk about episode 50. We're here to talk about uh, the interview, but also we just want to thank the people that do consistently contribute to this madness that it has evolved into. Right. Um, So if you guys don't mind for just a second, I'm going to list off our patrons real quick and just kind of give a big shout out to the people that actually literally give us money. Um, 
and I'm not going to list how much they give us or anything like that. Don't be silly. But um, our community is awesome. And a lot of this comes from the retreats and the workshops and stuff that we've done. Um, and this is just this community that we've been building. And I and I love everything about these people. So, ready? I'm ready. ready. Go for it. <laughs> Name that we've list. Got, uh, okay, here's the list. Hold on. I'm going to make going. this a little bigger. Keep going, Poppy. So I can get the... <laughs> I just want to... I was going to read uh, last names if they happen. Okay. All right. So let's go. So we got David Whale, who's been David. I think our longest contributor, probably. Um, I'm going to skip one of them. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Which would be May. Still contributing to my, uh, to the podcast that I now co-host. What's so funny is I, I still see your name on here. And I'm just like, wait, you still give us money? You're part of the show. But. I do appreciate your money, dude. So thank you. Um, Gabriel, <laughs> who we know from uh, the WXR retreat, um, who is just one of the awesome humans that I know. Um, He's also in my writing group, in yes. my Sunday night writing group. Jealous much, everyone. Yeah. And yeah, he, kept me, I didn't know he that. kept me company too um, at one of the last virtual uh, retreats too, because we were up late and I was on no sleep. And he, I think, kept me saying a little bit there. So. Thanks, Gabriel. Um, we've got Marie, Marie Parks, excuse me. Um, Mindy, Barbara Lund, who we know and love, of course. Constance, Debbie, Carrie, and Elon. So thank you all of you so, so very much for contributing to this show and um and making it uh, possible for doing what we do. Helps us pay those little fees and stuff that we have to pay. And maybe one day, maybe, maybe one day will be in the red yeah in the red and the in the green we want to be in the green in the black yeah i was gonna say they call it black friday for a reason (laughs) but um i think for the future too for 2022 uh because we have to survive the rest of 2021 uh for 2022 that's when you know that summer we really get into doing our own workshops yeah dun 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 yeah, we got lots of plans, guys. So um, if you're wondering, if if you are considering contributing, we have a lot of perks and stuff. Check us out, patreon.com slash just keep writing. Um, we've got daily writing prompts and early access to episodes and all kinds of stuff uh, that we put up there. And eventually I'm going to put up some of the videos from our interviews up there. Um, I might backlog some of them too. Um, and so maybe we'll make that part of one of the higher tiers. So. I have them all on my computer, so I want to do that really bad. Hey, I, I'm going to say um, this though. Yeah. Yes. Well, go ahead. No, you're you more important. No. The only oh, problem sorry. with that is sometimes people on the interviews say things that they don't want on the episode, and so I'd have to actually edit it. <laughs> yeah, you might want to edit it. Well, just don't post those ones. How about that? Right. No, because they're almost all of them. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> so, joining our Patreon channel, right? You guys are not going to be a bad company. I'll just say that we have some cool perks out there. Daily writing prompts. Um, if you hit a certain tier, you get an awesome coffee mug with your current work in progress and your name printed on it. Um, you know, kind of showing that we are recognizing you as a writer and your next big thing. But I mean, going through that list of who's currently a Patreon member for us, there's a lot of big things coming for a lot of our members. I mean, for example, Marie Parks, uh, she was actually a finalist for the book pipeline contest that with the story that she wrote with Jesse. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, awesome. Yeah. And I know, and I can't, there's nothing for me to actually talk about, but I know Elon too has a lot of big things coming in the next year. Um, and so we're, we're like really looking forward to see what he's about to produce out and things like that. Um, and Barbara, well, I can't say enough about Barbara. She's actually in the other writing group that I'm in and, and Barbara's got some stuff on the horizon too. Um, so, I mean, like you guys, you're in good company. Um, especially if you're up on our discord talking to people, I mean, David, well, he's got a whole trilogy that he just recently put out in the last couple of years, Radko's war. So I actually just know. got them. Oh, see, look at that. And Will has them, which therefore Will's going to read them and we can dissect them from him. <laughs> so, and, and this is, I don't know. And, and, and you're right, Nick, this is, it's important. If these people, if you want to talk to any of these folks, if you don't know these folks, jump in our discord. That's the easiest way to do it. And we have there, our own little community there. That's just so much fun. We've got people looking for help and bouncing ideas off each other and, and, and just venting sometimes. I mean, it's, it's what we need to do as writers. So. Yeah. I was going to say, there's not a single person in there that will turn you away for anything. Um, and our most used categories that we have or channels that we have is ask a question and then get an answer. Maybe not the one you were looking for. <laughs> no, you'll get an answer. <laughs> but, <coughs> but yeah, we have we have an ask a question thread, and it's probably it is our most used one right now. Um, and then other than like our general, but yeah, it's it's really fun. I hope to see more people on there. Um, and I hope to hear more about you listeners and what you're up to and the accomplishments that you guys are having. Cause I love celebrating that with you. Indeed. All right. Uh, anything else about where we're at as a podcast or anything episode 50 related? Should we just get right into um, talking about the interview real quick? Any other? We're 50, which is older than all of us. So that's great. Thankfully not all of us combined. Cause otherwise we'd be young. It's true. I mean, it's tough being the baby of the group. I know it's hard. It's so hard being so young. Will I know? I, 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 I'm, I'm the old guy. It. I know it. I know it. It's fine. You know, <laughs> I just, I'm just telling everyone, Botox works. Okay. So, and Botox he, and works. Here's the, the reason. The reason this is funny. I'm not going to even say why it's really funny. But when I do eventually release some video content out on the Patreon, um, you'll see why. When Will says what he's saying right now, it's a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. I mean, mathematically, well, honestly, like, maybe not, but maybe not. Let's, <laughs> visually, let's just talk about the, the facial visually. expressions you all miss. <laughs> what from these whose facial expressions? Ours, as <laughs> a collective whole. Yeah, it's true. You're definitely not benefiting from the video feed in an audio format. So, uh, gentlemen. Let's talk about Jennifer Eden because we had her on um, September. Was it Will? It was September. Yeah, yeah we yeah. interviewed her in September, and it was an amazing interview. And um, you're gonna get some stuff out of this that is just, just phenomenal. But I'm gonna turn it over to Will to kind of say what's kind of happened since we interviewed Jennifer to now, because some of it, we've mentioned Jennifer before when we had uh, Maurice on a couple of times because um, and Mur. And Murr, because she was an agent for both of them as well. So I'm going to let Will kind of recap and say what's going on before we get into the interview, because the interview is great, but some things have changed since September. So, 
So, um, Jen is how I like to call her. Um, she had, yes, she, um, exactly. Uh, Jen has left agenting and now she is doing just freelance editing, which she comes highly recommended both from our, uh, former guests, Maurice and Murr, that she's amazing. So if you need your, uh, novel, uh, workshopped, and edited by a professional who knows the industry. We will include Jen's Readsley uh, account that you can contact her through. Um, and when Jen made the announcement publicly, because her clients knew for about a month, um, it was just more of a state of 2020 and just reevaluating things. And it's sad that she's leaving, but the knowledge that she drops on the show is still relevant. We talked a lot about covid and like what's been happening um and she's just wonderful and we are definitely still going to have her back on the show because now she's going to have a totally different perspective as like being an a freelance editor and you know really working with people where she doesn't have to pitch them to um editors so we'll definitely have jen back in the future for sure yeah absolutely i'm, I'm glad and i'm glad you said that uh well because it having her back after she has been in this new role for a while, I think we'll, we'll really round out this conversation with where we're at. Plus just what, what folks that want to publish books need to know because the industry is, and we've been talking to Brent Lambert quite a bit too. The, the industry is glacial and how slow it is. And, and what? And you kind of have to know what's going on and have that expectation as well. And editing is a part of, and having an editor um, is part of that process. So I think too. Yeah, totally. Cause I mean, even just talking with Brent, cause he did the editing for um, the tour and Faya magazine, which was great. I don't know if anyone watched, um, read it, but if you didn't, you can go to tour.com. It's interesting. You know, you learn a lot from everyone that you meet and Jen, uh, like Brent is like a fountain of knowledge, which is really great. And Indeed. she's fun. And she's still going to do her podcast with uh, Bridget Smith, who is still an agent on shipping and handling. Oh, good. They're, they're going to keep that up. Yeah. Good. They're going to just rework it in a way of now that Jen's really just diving into freelance editing. And Bridget's going to still give her uh, spin as, you know, being the agent. So we can't wait to have Jen back in uh, the show a couple of months. Yeah, we mentioned the podcast during uh, during the episode as well. If you haven't checked it out, definitely check out Shipping and Handling. It's a wonderful show. I love that podcast so much. Nick, do you have anything you want to say about the interview? I can't speak enough about Jen and how awesome she is. Um, I've, I've had the pleasure, actually, to interact with her on two separate occasions at conferences and um, workshops. And she's she's great. I'm, I'm actually, she was my number one agent. I'm going public public with that now to uh, query next year. Um, and so now I have to do some research and re-rank some of people. But uh, yeah, she's great. I mean, between Murr and Maurice and things like that and the other books that she helped get published, like you can't. K.M. Sparza Docile. Say that again, Will. K.M. Sparza Docile. I don't know if you guys read that. It's we, Me and Jen talk about it on... Um, the podcast, or it might have been the after, after the official show. We kept been, talking. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't gone through the whole episode yet. So, 
<laughs> no, it might be on the after show, but we talked about um, that book, which was amazing. And like Jen has a really great eye for mm-hmm. storytelling and for what, you know, can move in the market. Yeah. And I, one of my favorite things about Jen is when she tells you that she's looking for diversity in her books and who she wants to represent, it's not lip service. She goes out and does it. So she's going to make a great editor. I'm, I'm probably going to use her, use her as a, an editor. Um, so Do it. I'll hopefully give you guys some feedback on that and be like, Jen, you're so awesome. Let's tear <laughs> my book apart on our show. Um, so people know what you do and I won't cry. Oh, you'll, you'll cry. cry. Uh, I'm, not I'm, I'm already crying. <laughs> you'll cry. Well, all right. So guys, um, I'm going to, here's the thing. Most of us have a beverage in our hand. I'm just going to give a cheers to you two. Thank you for going on this journey with us and to 50 more episodes and beyond. Right. Cheers boys. That's um, right. To infinity and beyond hitting 100 in 2021. Exactly. And on top of that, um, I guess we'll let you uh, listen to the interview with Jen Uden now. So thanks for listening. And thanks to, again to all the patrons. And thanks to Nick and Will for um, bearing oh, with my time, my time management. You guys, we totally forgot. What did we forget? Oh, my God. I just ran, I just stopped it. I'm just kidding. What? Oh, I was going to say, at the time of this airing, Merry Christmas. Oh. Or Happy Kwanzaa and Happy Hanukkah. And this is why we have Will. I'm just going to say happy holidays. (laughs) Okay. And joining us this week is co-host of the Shipping and Handling podcast and our favorite literary agent, Jennifer Udden. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm good. (laughs) We're excited to have you. you. (laughs) I'm so glad that we could work out a a good time. All right, go you ahead. You want me to start? Okay. Yes, I do. Um, Always. All right. So, Jen, we asked this of everyone who, anyone we're interviewing, this next question, and we get hilarious responses. So, describe your career in three words. It doesn't have to be a three word sentence, just three words. Um. Oh, man. Three words. Uh, random. Oh, God. I'm, this, is, this is the kind of game I'm really bad at. Random connections luck great so can we talk about those three words so why random so um when i moved when i graduated from college in 2008 another great year just (laughs) oh yeah i bought a house right before the housing market crashed that year (laughs) oh yeah no i was working in uh fun i was working in development and fundraising for a theater company a nonprofit theater company um another great career to be in during a financial crisis (laughs) and after doing that for about two years i was like you know not only am I like really not very good at this, I also hate it and dread every day with like a bone deep agony. Um, <laughs> so I decided to quit without like a backup plan. And I said, if I don't find anything within like a month, I'm going to move back to Texas. And I really didn't want to move back to Texas. So um, I basically called everyone I knew in New York and was like, hi, let's get drinks. And you can tell me about what you do. Just because I was like, I'll take anything. I will literally do anything. And I was having drinks with my roommate at the time's cousin. <laughs> and okay. she was a paralegal. And after about three glasses of wine, she was like, do you like fantasy novels? And I was like, I do like fantasy <laughs> novels. And so it turned out that her roommate needed an intern. And so that's okay. how I got my first job in publishing was by having drinks with my roommate's cousin. Oh, man. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> 
So connectiveness or being connect, right? That was the next word. Connections. Yeah. 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 Connections. Okay. Basically that connections kind of come in the most random places. Um, You know, I'm, by keeping in touch with basically everyone I've ever met, I think I've been able to have a really strong career just because things kind of come around and you find out about them sooner. And uh, I mean, networking gets like a really bad rap because there is so much of it that is like terrible and elitist and you have to sort of be in place to like take advantage of that. But um, at its basis, it's just sort of like knowing people and being confident enough to like reach out to them and be like, hi, we met once at a party. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I need a job. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, on that point, do you feel like it's especially like, cause I've lived in New York almost my whole life, you know, m- more than where I grew up. Don't you feel like it's a very New York thing though, just to simply engage with people because the city kind of pushes you to get yeah, out there. Definitely. There's no, you can't really seal yourself off. Unless you are in the land of, unless you're in the land of the rich, in which case anything is possible. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you you meet someone at uh, the bodega, and it turns out that they work in the building next to you. And I mean, I literally found out that. So my sister and I have a dog, and we when we adopted Barnaby, he came over from a rescue and rescue organization in Puerto Rico, and we had to pick him up at like the American Airlines baggage terminal at like midnight, and it was just like the worst night. But he's very cute and we love him. And his mom and one of his siblings was also being adopted that night. So one day I was in uh, my old office, the BGL offices, and I heard this voice. They're like, oh, this is my dog, Milu. And I was like, There's, there can't be two fucking dogs in Brooklyn with this pretentious <laughs> ass name. Yeah. And sure enough, the woman who had adopted Barnaby's brother with her partner works, worked two offices down from me. And I was just wow. like, of all the co-working spaces <laughs> in all the lands, it was this one. That's so funny. So yeah, I feel like New York is the only kind of place where that like happens on the regular. So it's true. It's such a even though there's so many people here, it's such a small island. There's five that, people in New York, and they yeah, all know each other, exactly. even if we don't yet. <laughs> exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um. So what about luck? Luck is just like having the stars align. Um, so, which I guess all my words are like the same thing, but whatever. I don't, I don't make the words. I help sell the words. That's my excuse. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, one instance was, so last year I was having, I had some issues with my old agency. I was sort of running the joint alone for a bit and I had sort of given notice and I knew that like on a certain day I was either going to be like starting my own agency or I would have found another job. And as it happened, my new boss, Joanna Volpe, who is amazing. And if she ever needs an organ of any kind, she's welcome to mine, um, was attending Worldcon in Dublin. And she was like, oh, hey, you want to get a drink? And so we ended up getting drinks and talking. And then like three weeks later, she made me a job offer. And I was just like, and it was two days before like the day that was going to be my last day of my old agency. And I was just like, wow, really (laughs) glad you decided to go to Worldcon this year, Joanna. (laughs) (laughs) Just never know. You just never know. You truly never do, which is why, like, I try not to say um, never say never about a lot of things Mm because, you know, I don't necessarily like this kind of book, but maybe one of my clients will write it and then I'll sell it and it'll be like the best thing they've ever done. So it's good to not like cut things off. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's like a hilarious answer. No, that is. That is. perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Were books a big part of your life growing up? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I was a big reader. 
my mom runs a theater company in Houston and growing up there was a children's bookstore like right next door. Mm -hmm. And if I was like bored hanging around the theater, I would go and they would let me like read books as long as I didn't damage them. And so now, I mean, you can kind of see this situation. Like this is the the shelf action and please ignore the towels driving it. Like (laughs) always been a big reader. Um, I could read from a really young age too. So, um, I was like from like three. So I've always, you know, read books, always kind of just devoured whatever I could get my hands on. And I didn't even really intellectually know that publishing was like a thing. I was like, I mean, surely someone must be involved in getting the books from like the typewriter to the bookstore. (laughs) But I didn't really have any idea of like how that worked until after I graduated. So I was, I was late. I never had the dream of like, I'm going to be an editor or an agent because I didn't know what those things were. (laughs) So speaking of that though, did you, did it ever make you want to write? You know, I've tried my hand at writing at various times. I've written fan fiction, you know, I've Mm -hmm. written, I've written one deeply terrible romance novel. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that where I am in my life now, I don't ever want to say no, but I just don't have time. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe I'll get back into fan fiction. That seems doable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I couldn't imagine being an agent and having time to also write. Like that would be, you know, there's agents who do it though. No, I know, but I'm just, I I don't have enough time to do anything I do in my life. And it's like, I couldn't imagine that, but. Bill Clegg somehow had time to write a novel and like be addicted to meth. So, and be an agent. So, although I guess. I mean, the meth really makes you faster. So. (laughs) True. Although I think he had given up the meth by the time he started writing, but. um, That's good. (laughs) Sorry, Bill Clegg. I'm sure you're a very nice, very nice man. I love your books. Um, I mean, for me too, I have like a mental block about it. Like every so often I'm like, oh, that would be a good idea for a book. But I have weird feelings about agents, you know, being an agent who writes, because especially if I was writing in the same genre as my clients, I would feel weird. Um, but that's sort of for everybody to decide for themselves. So I'm just like, I just future me will deal with that if I ever write something. Right, right. now, it's not a, it's, it's a moot point. So <laughs> gotcha. So um, you answered our one question about how you became an agent and just getting into publishing. Um, what? Who do you represent? Tell our listeners who you represent now or who you do want to shut out. I have, well, I have a really great list. I love all my children. Um, mm-hmm. I represent a pretty wide range of mostly fiction. I would say 99% fiction in one standout nonfiction client. Um, I, it's, a, it's a range of stuff from adult science fiction and fantasy to YA to middle grade. Um, recent books that I've had come out this year, um, Francina Simone's uh, Smash It, which is about a girl in high school who reads a Shonda Rhimes book and decides to make a fuck it list to like turn her life around. It's really charming. It came out last week. Um, Even if we break by Marika Nijkamp, um, her debut novel was on the New York times list for 73 weeks. And this one is about um, a group of teens who have been doing this like long running, like a role-playing game. And they go away to like an isolated cabin in the woods for like one last weekend before they all graduate. And then they all get start getting murdered. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. Awesome. Um, uh, even if we break that came out three weeks ago and then actually a lot of what i've had come out this year is ya but i do i, I had one more ya um come out in may called uh, wicked magic and that one is described as the craft only everyone has to deal with the consequences of their actions and then a middle grade novel called get a grip vivi cohen which is an epistolary novel about baseball so pretty eclectic. I also represent um, Maurice Broadus, who writes um, amazing science fiction and fantasy. He has a big space opera coming out uh, next year. 
next year from Tor. Mm-hmm. Emma Newman, whose Planet Fall series was nominated for Best Series at the Hugos this year. Um, unfortunately, she was up against, against fucking James S.A. Corey, and I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> God <laughs> damn it. Damn it. <laughs> um, Mer Lafferty, whose novel Six Wakes was nominated for a Hugo. Um, also, uh, K.M. Sparrow. Oh, K.M. Sparrow, Docile, came out this year. Um, oh, I love that book. That oh, book yay, was amazing. So ha- oh, I've you- read it. I listen, they the boys laugh at me because when I read something, I'll usually read it over and over again. I've read that book eleven times and counting. That might that might be more times than I've read it. Um <laughs> Jen, I because when I get addicted to a book, right? It makes me so happy. So, oh my god. There's a couple reasons. I was really excited it came out because, you know, as someone who's in the queer community, I always really try to seek out those books. But that book is so fucking good. And at first I just, I read it in a day because I just was into it. Then I keep reading things over and over again to be like, how did they do this? Or this mm-hmm. was really smart. I'm just, I fucking love that book. I'm, you're going to love his next book so much. I can't wait. It's called First Become Ashes and it comes out in April of next year. And it's, I can't wait. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> it's so good. I feel like the books that I have this year kind of actually represent kind of the gamut of what I do because my last book that comes out this year is a book called A Certain Hunger, which actually, I think I have it. I knew I had the arcs with me. So this is um, A Certain Hunger. It comes out from Unnamed Press in December. And Whoa. this book is basically Eat, Pray, Love meets American Psycho about a woman who um, is a food what? writer who has an eat, pray, love style midlife crisis and begins killing and eating her former lovers. <laughs> so like for oh my God. For everything that I have from the like very sweet middle grade to like the very fucked up thrillers, there's always some element that's like just a little off kilter. And that's what I love about my, my list. I love, I, I love, love all that. my people. <laughs> that's a hell of a list. That's <laughs> <doing> amazing. <laughs> This one just got a star from PW, and um, uh, it's just, it's just so, it's just, it's so fucking good. I, I love it so much. And that one's actually, yep. it, it was an Audible original, so it's on audio now. But the print oh, edition doesn't come out till this year, so yeah. So when it comes to like um, with docile, I, I remember, I think I either heard you on shipping your handling, or I was reading an interview that when you. Uh, took um that book on you were like you know what it might be a while before we sell it mm-hmm. and then it sells like two days in later. like two weeks yeah yeah so <laughs> i guess this never is- happens <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i guess this is my next question what has surprised you the most about representing author's work just i mean there's no the thing that has been surprising to me is how little actually ends up being surprising and how different every deal is. You know, you can have, you can sell a book for an author and then sell another book for them. And then it'll go completely different the way that it did the first time. And it'll always go different based on like where someone is in, is in their career. You know, if you're selling a book for someone who's had a million books out, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a different process than someone that I'm then trying to convince someone to take on a completely, a completely new author. But I mean, selling that book in two weeks was certainly like, huh, all right, that's, <laughs> that's a thing that happened. Because mm-hmm. um, I thought that that one was going to be like the hard sell. There's a lot of very explicit sexual content in there. And a lot of it is kind of upsetting. And, you know, I wasn't, I was hopeful that I would find a publishing partner for Kellen that would like get what he was trying to do and like be on board with that. And the fact that Carl read it and was like, two days later, like, 
I'm obsessed with this. Like I will be, I will be purchasing this book. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, and also like the, the deals that have come harder are sometimes also really satisfying. Like um, Marika Nijkamp's first book, this is where it ends. I think it had been been rejected like 30 times before Sourcebooks bought it. And my favorite thing was, was hearing people at cocktail parties be like, oh my God, I talked to someone at Random House and they totally said that they tried to buy that book. And I was like, bitch, no one tried to buy that book. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm delighted with the offer because it was the only one we had. Um, you know, it's, it, you never know what's going to happen. That's kind of the fun thing about it. Sometimes it's like the also like mind numbing dread part of it because you're like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. But Right. So my next question then uh, goes into, you know, do you feel the industry is changing with initiatives like we need diverse books? And then considering the backlash of American Dirt. Oh, God, American Dirt, that fucking book. Um, I mean, the industry is changing, but it's not changing fast enough. Um, There's been a lot of lip service and we've seen some pretty high level, like C-level diversity hires brought on. But the, the biggest issues in publishing are still the biggest issues. It's a tremendously underpaid profession. I mean, at least with editorial and sort of the publishing side, you have a salary and there's some, there's some semblance of financial steadiness. But on the agenting side, you know, unless you have family money or unless you work two jobs or unless you work some other job within an agency, largely those positions are unpaid or they're commission-based, which... It's fine, but you ha- but there's no way to support yourself doing that. I was tremendously lucky in that the first job I had, I was an assistant. I was paid a salary. The second job I had, I was able to negotiate a draw for myself, which is basically an advance against earnings. It's not not indentured servitude, <laughs> um, and that's and that's kind of what I'm on now. But you know, for so many people who want to get into the industry, if you don't have family money or if you don't have sort of like family support, it's tremendously difficult. And the industry has been very slow to raise its salaries, raise its, you know, outreach efforts, it's still tremendously based on word of mouth, you know, which benefits people like me, but, you know, it doesn't benefit someone else who's trying to break in. So I mean, I used to joke that I looked like the statistical average of a publishing employee. I'm a white brunette, I used to have bangs. (laughs) I live in Brooklyn, like I've got an adorable dog, like, (laughs) <laughs> you can go to a publishing party and there will be 30 women who look exactly like me. And that's a problem. And, right. you know, as much as companies are doing to like rectify that, it's not happening fast enough, in my opinion. And American Dirt, I mean, the sad thing about American Dirt is that we all made a big fuss about it. And that book still like rode the bestseller list. I still see that shit in Target. Like it's, it's doing fine. It hurt her not a little, not even a bit. Did you, um, I didn't put this in my interview notes, boys, but did you watch the, um, her interview with Oprah about the no. reaction that she was getting? No, because it was, I was, I could feel, you know, the, it's like the flames, flames on the side of my face. I was just like, yeah. my blood pressure just needs to stay where it is. I don't, I don't need to watch that. They, um, I would be interested to see your opinion on it because they brought other uh, Latinx authors on there to also speak to Janine and also to speak to the people who publish them. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, what was fascinating about it is a lot of the authors, some of them were uh, antagonistic towards Janine, rightfully so, I think in some ways, Um, in other ways, they they, they were like, you know what, this really has more to do with why aren't you? And they pointed to the publishers who published it 
actually trying to promote people who actually have that lived experience because it took my agent and everything um, so long just to get my story read. So, and this leads me into my next question for you. Do you feel like there is a responsibility that agents um, play into making sure to showcase diverse works to editors? Yes, I think. And I think that none of us are doing enough. I think there's been a lot of talk. One of the things that I have not really talked about a lot is this issue because I don't feel that my efforts in this area have been good enough. My list is still pretty white. And, you know, I stand behind my list. They're all good authors. But, you know, I don't feel like I can say like, yes, all agents should do this because I haven't done any of that. Um, You know, I've made efforts, but I haven't, you know, I haven't walked the walk as much as I could. I, I do think that the responsibility is to wherever possible, think about, think about who you're passing on. Like, think about what you're turning down and be like, would you like, like, you know, you have to, you have to ask yourself a lot of really uncomfortable questions about, you know, assumed quality and assumed, you know, how much work something's going to be. And I think that a lot of agents don't want to ask themselves those questions because they don't want to have ugly feelings of like, oh, am I making these, you know, no one wants to think badly of themselves, which is why, yeah. why we're in so many of the messes that we're in right now. Exactly. But um, I think that, uh, that by and large, the industry isn't interested in asking themselves that question because they don't want the answer to be, which it is, that people's inherent biases or you just, what, what, what the, the biases you don't know you have. Yeah. They don't want to think that that's how they are when everyone has those biases. And like, if you know about them, you can work around them. You can kind of mitigate for them. I don't know if that really answers your question, but it it does. Because I do feel like, you know, we are, I mean, I hate the word gatekeeper, but like we are, we, we do act as sort of like agents. I mean, duh, but you know, we are people who sort of like take people and like get them to the next level. And if we do say that we want diversity, then that's actually something we should be you know, I don't know. I don't know what this like salmon jumping upstream thing I'm doing with my hand is. <laughs> people not ben- benefiting from the video feed. Be seen by people. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, a glass and a half of wine. It's gonna go great. <laughs> I love it. No, trust me. We're all. Uh, we don't know what. You, it looks like you had a rosé there. Mm-hmm. Dark horse. Uh, I was gonna buy one that had a little pig in like a little hat, but it was. <laughs> It looked real fancy, and usually I don't like fancy rosés. So. Yeah, my wife's a big fan of the rosés. I, I like my IPAs, so I got my hazy little thing. Nice. I've Very never going. been a beer so, person. It just yeah. it tastes like bread to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm all right with that. I was a big bread fan when I was a baby. I'm um, still big. This is the body that bread built, you know. <laughs> my mom's doing the low-carb thing right now, and I'm like, Give it like have you met my sourdough starter? My like... <laughs> <laughs> I should feed that thing. It's been sitting on my counter for a week. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) So we see a lot of initiatives, though, in the publishing agency to help give more spotlights to marginalized authors, you know, of all difference, whether, you know, you're a person of color, the queer community. And then we automatically see this pushback from, um, let's be honest, it's white people. Um, (laughs) 
So what do you say to, sorry, Nick, uh, we always see Nick, he's <laughs> like okay, the token white dude from us, okay? Um, <laughs> but I feel like this is important. So what do you say on that flip side to cisgendered straight males um, who might feel left out? Like, what do you say to those authors? 70% of the books are still published by you. <laughs> right on. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the numbers are still pretty, I mean, the numbers that matter, which is the books get, that get bought, the books that hit the list, those those are still by and large very male um Mm. you know you think about the sort of blockbuster authors you know people take james patterson series seriously they don't take danielle Steele seriously and she Mm -hmm. actually fucking writes all her own books Mm -hmm. so um although i have a friend who's like co-written a bunch of books with james patterson and i hear he's a very nice man but like (laughs) just like don't come for me in the night james patterson but you know i i there's nothing you can really say to a person like that. Someone, someone who has decided to be aggrieved is not going to be convinced by like facts, which is another reason we are in the, the issues we are in. Um, you know, I try not to let those people's opinions affect what I do because the other thing too, is like outside, I have to remind myself that outside of Twitter, no one gives a shit about the stuff that we spend all day yelling at each other about. Like my yeah. mom doesn't <laughs> care. She reads the New York <laughs> times book review. She'll like, go to the, the, the indie bookstore and see what's like out facing. And like, those are the books that she buys. And if there's a murder in it, even better. Like that's, that's <laughs> like, the stuff. and like, mo- we have to remember that most readers in America are like that. And so all we have to do is sell the books and get them put in front of those readers. And then the readers will make their own decisions. But half the shit that we yell at each other about all the time. Like I had to explain the American dirt stuff to my mom. And I had to explain like the advance and like how it was so big and that was a problem. And and then there was that article, I don't know if y'all read this in the New York Times, but the woman who sued the other erotica writer about like, oh my God, I'm not, uh, basically there's a genre of erotica that's like wolf themed, but it's sort of got this like strange biology aspect to it. And she sued another writer about it. And I was like, I'm not explaining the Omega verse to my parents <laughs> over like the breakfast table. I'm not doing it. Y'all can that's Google it. I'm not explaining it here, but so like that but that's but that's just to say that like the publishing industry and like the writing world is very concerned rightly so with these issues but the larger reading public i don't think interesting cares as much so and uh, in uh, some ways uh, it's fine if oh sorry no no go ahead please in some ways it's fine if they don't care because eventually they're just going to buy what's put in front of them. So we got to make sure that stuff that's put in front of them is the stuff that we want. You know, if, if we want people to read diversely, they have to have diverse books. I mean, and also the the word diverse is like a as like a catch all as like as a book as if a book is diverse just because it's written by you know. Yeah. I have my quibbles, but like we have to make sure in publishing if if this is really what we want people to read, we got to make sure that they're out there and make mm-hmm. sure people can find them. Because people people will read them. I mean, Carmen Maria Machado sold like a bu- fucking bajillion copies of her book, and um, Mexican Gothic, and like there's all these books that will sell like gangbusters if given the chance. And mm-hmm. you know, I think we've seen that over the last few years, and we just got to make sure that that keeps happening in like larger volume. So I guess I guess my question. This is not will if it's not in your notes. Just so you it's know, okay. Um, it's okay. And just just where the conversation is going as far uh, you know as a black aspiring author myself, like what do you think um, your role is? To, I mean, I think you kind of answered this a little bit, but what, what needs to happen in order for this to write itself a little bit? It, it, does that make sense? Like, 
I mean, like you, 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 you just said, you know, we have to make sure that those, the books out there are more diverse, you know, quote unquote, um, and, and make it available. But on the, on the agent, on the publishing side, what needs, what needs to change, I guess is what I'm asking. I know that might be kind of a loaded question, but. Oh, no, I think it's a good, because I think that so many of these questions are systemic. It's not just about like buying one single book and then like having it fix publishing. You know, we need to get there, there needs to be more voices in the room at acquisitions meetings so that a book like American Dirt isn't just like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Perfect. Let's just do it. <laughs> you know, because that's the thing is like, if it's only one kind of person in a room and people who don't feel like they have the authority to say like, it sounds kind of fucked up. Like maybe, right. maybe we shouldn't, um, <laughs> then people won't say it. And, and so more voices in the room, which, which goes back to the salary and the sort of that, the hiring level. On the agenting level, it means sort of taking a really good hard look at the stuff that you know you're you're taking on, or and stuff that you're choosing to take on and choosing not to take on, and be like, okay, where at at what point in the process are your biases coming in? Like, what are you reading for? What are you looking at? Who are you willing to spend the the time to work with, and why? And think right. about that and like, don't beat yourself up, but like, also think about it because if you just don't give a shit, like fine, just commit to that and don't ever pay right. lip service to wanting diversity ever again. But there's a lot of individual work and there's a lot of systemic work in diversifying, especially like acquisitions, sales, marketing, especially like when you think about marketing, like half the problem with American Dirt was the marketing. It was positioned <laughs> as sort of like a literary mainstream you know, this is so true and so real and so lived. If they had just been like, this is a schlocky thriller about someone running away from a cartel guy. Yeah. No one would have given a shit because millions <laughs> of those books are published all the time. Right. But by positioning it as what they positioned it as, they just set themselves up for this. Does that make sense? Like, it yeah. would have been a terrible yeah. offensive thriller, but no one would have given a shit because it's right. like, well, you know, it's a terrible offensive thriller. But because it was like the voice of a generation, it's like... Right. Yeah, as soon as you market I mean, something in a certain way, that's the exactly. way it's going to be perceived, and then that's the way, you know, yeah. I, ha I have to say, like, I have seen better work, marketing work, sales work, editorial work from the publishers I know that have more than one person of color on their staff. And I know who all works there. Like, their pictures are all on the fucking website. I can tell, like, they've got, like, three Sarahs and an Emily <laughs> and like <laughs> they, all went to, they all went to Vassar like yeah you know not to disrespect the Sarahs and the Emilys but like oh they'll be fine yeah they'll, they'll be fine that's the yeah. thing is they will always yeah. be fine yeah. um so I mean I, I I that's a little bit of a rambly way of, of answering the question but I I, I, I think that it. it is systemic like you know you know I tried to explain this I was during the pandemic, I was actually in Texas for like six months. Um, and I was trying to kind of explain this to my dad, who is like a lovely, well-meaning liberal man, but he is white and he is cis and he's like, you know, the doctor. And he somehow like trying to explain the concept of privilege to him was like deeply painful up until like yeah. this year because I had, you know, I, he kept thinking that like it was invalidating the actual hard work that he had done. And right. it wasn't until this year. And I don't know about like what all of the other protests about police brutality didn't tell him, but like this year somehow he was just like, I get it. Yeah. And yeah. I wish it had taken less time, but like so much of this is about the white people in publishing 
needing to kind of step back and be like, and be like, okay, this is not my turn. Right. I've had many turns. Someone else needs to get a turn. Like a lot of people are going to have to step back and yeah. they're going to be really upset by that. But it's, that's what needs, that's in my opinion, what needs to happen. Do you know what I wish also would happen is that I wish publishing companies, since their idea is to make money, would actually mm-hmm. donate part of their profits and actually create programs in inner city schools to have reading and writing stories from these kids, um, an investment. So like for me, like I, I grew up in the projects, right? I was pretty much the only white looking one in my neighborhood. And what I would always tell everyone, because everyone would give me this, well, you know, you got out, you're different. And I said, you know what? I was like, first of all, I'm not. I was like, there's a certain level of privilege, but also some of the smartest people I've ever met grew up in my neighborhood and were never given a chance because no one who was in the position of power would mentor them. Yeah. And there was no access. So I really wish there would be some way that the publishing um, houses would look at this as like a 20 to 25 year investment of bringing systems into those impoverished areas and uplifting them through literature and letting kids dream and letting them know that your dreams have value and you can write your way to a better life. You know what my favorite story of like all time is? Um, So my mom is from Tennessee. She's from Knoxville. And of course, being a good Tennessee girl, we all love Dolly Parton because she's the best. (laughs) She's amazing. Dolly Parton has this organization called, I think it's the Imagination Library. Mm -hmm. And she started it because, I mean, she famously grew up as one of like 12 children in like a one room house. You can visit the replica of that house at Dollywood. I have seen it. It is very small. Um, (laughs) And she started this organization after she found out that um, the literacy rate in, in her county, Sevier County, was, like, really low. And it has, it's a program where uh, you, sign your, you sign your kid up, and for the first five years of their life, they get a book a month for free. Wow. And it's now grown into mm-hmm. a nationwide program. She just gave away her, like, millionth book. And the literacy rate in Sevier County has gone from, like, you know, I don't know the actual numbers, but it's jumped astronomically over the period of time that this organization has been running. And it's really clear that like, if you give kids access to this, they will, you know, they they can take it and run with it. So I think that sounds like a great, I think you should suggest that to Random House because that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I really think about it a lot because I'm just like, we really need to do something because a lot of our education system, I mean, even just here. I mean, our York, education system is so borked. Like, just exactly. Oh, trust me, I've been a I, teacher for about twelve years now. I teach high school. It's oh my gosh, it's a disaster. What it's subject a disaster. do you teach? Uh, English, senior English for almost ten years, and now I've been teaching a little English and digital media, and I'm the yearbook advisor now. But it's just like yearbook. I'm, oh my god. Yeah. Oh, that's and this year, don't get me started on that. But because um, we're <laughs> virtual morning. learning, so. Who knows? Oh my God. Here's a picture of us like sitting in our, in our pajamas. Yeah. It's like everybody send me <laughs> selfies so we can put it in the yearbook. It's like, what are we else are we going to do? <laughs> oh my God. Nightmare. But I mean, Full all nightmare. that aside, it's like, it's like, you know, teaching is, and I think you said this earlier too. It's, it's one of those other jobs where it's like, we're not getting paid a lot to do what we're doing, but we're trying to do what we can, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. and, and, and I'm, and I'm with Will on this and I have students every year who are just you know, I want to be able to do this and this is what I'm into and I try to help them, but th- there's just not, 
I don't know what, where to turn them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it, it gets a little bit, um, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, where you just kind of keep spinning your wheels about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, because publishing, I mean, publishing does make money, but it doesn't make money on the level of other, you know, entertainment entities. So a lot of the times it's just gambling in this kind of like very protracted drawn out way and getting publishing companies to like innovate. I mean, there, it, it took a fucking global pandemic for some companies to stop issuing paper checks. We were like, ACH imagine? transfers fucking <sighs> <What>? exist. <laughs> no one's going to the office to cash this. <laughs> we literally had to have like, I mean, business ground to a fucking halt in March because everyone was just like, how do you make banking work and i was just like we can figure this out venmo exists <laughs> so i haven't had a checkbook in at least 15 I years one. i don't know like, where it is i haven't it's like I, mean, what would I, I can just tell my bank to send a check to someone if that's what they need it's like it's not something i need i don't know it's crazy but. I feel like you'd use it for sort of like the only thing I think I would use it for is like making elaborate bets, like cash this check for a bajillion dollars and I'll become rich or something. Right. I don't know. That's so funny. Oh, man. Um, okay. So now we're, I'm going to go to a totally, well, not a totally different, but um, kind of going to my original questions. Um, when you're oh, are you saying we veered away from that, Will? Is we that did a little bit, but this was good. I'm glad we, we veered real away from early that. In the podcast. Yeah, we did. We were Normally, just like, it's like at the bottom of the bottle that I'm ready to <laughs> yeah, talk about yeah. that. But. We're, just, we're intense, Jen. Okay? We just like to get to the heart <laughs> of things. Love know? that journey for us. <laughs> so when you're choosing to represent an author, besides it being well-written or that the book speaks to you, what other qualities do you look for in um, an author? I mean, usually by the time that I make the call and say, like, I want to work with you, um, my mind is pretty much made up. Um, I'm looking for someone to be excited about. Um, and a lot of that is about what they're writing next, like what kind of stuff that they want for their career. Um, because if someone gets on the phone and is like, well, I just want to do this kind of book forever until I die. That's fine. But like, sometimes I'm like, but, you know, I like this book, but I don't know if I want to work on like 90 more of this book. Um, it, it's a lot about sort of like the whole package and whether I think that we're going to get along like on a personal level, because it is, it's a, such an intimate relationship and it's such a, um, intense relationship because like, apart from sort of someone's like romantic partner or family, it's like you are being given like hand, not the keys, but like you're in charge of getting this work that has been someone's life to the next stage and making, sh and you're like the shepherd of like trying to get it, you know, so it's really important and you want to make sure that it's, that it's right. So for me, it's about like excitement. It's about, um, you know, kind of the vibe and also like, do I like this book? Do I like this book enough to read it like 40 times before it gets sold? And then another three times after that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So when you're working with editorial and sales and marketing team for a book and say there's changes suddenly in the middle of that author writing the book or going through one round of edits. And I'm going to give you an example. Uh, an editor was fired. Um, and now this oh. author's in the middle of the first Child, book. Child's right? book. <laughs> yeah. But like, how do you ensure that your client is going to get the right editorial guidance, but also the marketing push that the original editor discussed? So two things. 
the marketing budget is usually in place once the book is bought. Mm-hmm. So unless something has changed, the numbers that they plan, because they do what's called a PNL, which is a profit and loss statement before they decide to buy the book. And they basically like, you know, it, it changes based on the amount of money that they're paying for the book. And they want to know when they buy the book that like, okay, if we b- pay this much money and we put this much marketing dollars in, this is, this is wh- how much money we're going to make. So a lot of times that is set. Editorial guidance is a little tougher, but usually what I try to do is I try to just sort of be, if if there is an editor in place who's like good at editing and I'm like, okay, I, I can step back. If I know that that editor is super busy and can't actually take that on, I will step in and be like, okay, I'm going to work on this with you because we have the edit letter from the first editor and I know what they want. So I'm going to try and do the best I can to make sure that you've done that. I mean, I've had books be orphaned like four or five times before they actually get published. It's, um, it wow. sucks. But like mm-hmm. one of those books was Merle Lafferty and I remember she got nominated for Hugo. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it kind of, That's it kind crazy. of can, it can work out. It's like, what's the craziest story I heard? Um, I'm trying to think of what's what's the what's the most bonkers. I mean, I had there was an editor at, at Penguin who had like three of my authors who got laid off right before one of their books came out, and I was just like, "What? Fuck!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shit happens. You got to roll the punches. I mean, the the nice thing about I feel like I've learned so much more about agenting and publishing in the last year since I've joined New Leaf because they have a dedicated marketing and branding team. To like look at all our wow. marketing plans and like be like, okay, you have holes here, here, and here, and this is like what you need to do. So I feel like I've learned a lot there, but really it's just making sure that you have like an eye on, you know, you have an eye on what's happening, you know, regular check ins, regular um, communication with the publicity and marketing team. Um, because even if the personnel changes, you know, they will respond to pressure from the outside. So if mm-hmm. someone, if something changes, if we say have a global pandemic in the middle of <laughs> publishing, publishing season, they know that someone cares that like, okay, you said you were going to do this arc drop. Are we still doing an arc drop since physical arcs? Like, like right. is the post office still going to be a thing in six months? Like, I don't know. Like People they will send, respond send, to that pressure. Checks, so it's really you know? just, it's really just a matter of unrelenting <laughs> pressure in the face of obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> So then it goes back to, because I've been seeing this um, just pop up in some of the um, authors that I like research. And one of it is joint accounting clause for books. Do you try to negotiate that out of a contract? Hell yeah. Joint accounting fucking sucks. Do you want to explain, do you want to explain to everyone if they're not familiar with joint accounting, like what it is? So joint accounting you usually see with series, a series. Like so if there's multiple books on a contract, um, if you account them jointly, it means that the advance is treated as a whole. So if the first book earns out but the second book doesn't, you never start seeing royalties on the first book because the second book hasn't earned out. Oh. So in almost all ca- cases, we press for a separate accounting. There are so many clauses I hate and joint accounting is like... Do you feel like that's going to be the standard to do joint accounts? Uh, with Publishers COVID? like it a lot. Publishers like it a lot, and they've liked it since before COVID. Um, and that's partially because the first books almost always do better in a series. Um, yeah. You know, there is there is a diminishing return with a series where the the first book 
you know, many people start a series and then never finish it, but it's not great for the author because especially if it's a large advance, like, you know, you do want to start earning royalties eventually because that's where the real money is long-term. So I hate so, it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard lots terrible. of authors be like, it sucks. <laughs> it um, does. And at a certain level, like if you really want to take a deal because it's like a certain publisher or a certain amount of money, you know, if, if, if I went to my author and I was like, listen, they want to give you like these giant sacks of money, but it's going to be joint accounting. Like it's my job as the agent to convince them what the right move is. But ultimately, if they're like, I am unswayed by your argument, I would like the giant sacks of money, please. Then it is my job to do in the, to do that deal. Right. So. Gotcha. So do you feel like the industry is changing in any way post COVID, even though we're in the mm. middle of it, but eventually, mm. God willing, this is going to end. Well, people have. I mean, I hope it fucking ends. This blows. Yeah, yeah. wouldn't it be <laughs> nice if it ended? The wouldn't apocalypse, and not the I mean, ending like everybody's like pretending it's ending and then going about their lives, but actually ending. That would be yeah, cool. Like the virus but. is like we're done. <laughs> oh my God. I, this is apropos of nothing, but so um, I'm a big hockey fan, and last week, unfortunately, the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup, and mm. like one of the first things one of their dumb fucking players did was like thank the idiot governor of Florida for opening the bars in time for them to celebrate. And I'm just like, so y'all get through like a six week bubble in right. fucking Toronto, and you're just going to immediately instigate a super spreader event. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good job being Florida. Like, yeah. I was watching football today. And I, I have the red zone and they're bouncing around g- game to game. And the amount of stadiums that have fans, of course, Tampa Bay and all these other ones. And it's like, they have like, you know, over 5,000 fans in that stadium. And I'm like, guys, this isn't over. Like, why are we doing this? But anyway, that's. A uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest thing has been. All right. What can we do? to immediately pivot to online events. And I think that the online event thing is actually really exciting because Mm -hmm. it feels less punishing when there's only like six people at an online event. Like if you're like doing a bookstore tour and there's like no one there, it's like really psychologically taxing. (laughs) But like when you're just on an Instagram live, if you're not the host, you can't can't really tell who's there. So Mm -hmm. I think that psychologically that's great. It's also, it's cheaper. You can be more flexible. You can have guests from all over the world talking to each other. I had a, a Sasha Lawrence who wrote um, uh, A Wicked Magic did an event with Sarah Reese Brennan. Uh, it was it was Halloween in July. It was really fun. And it was just like a convo on Instagram Live. Um, and like Sarah Reese Brennan lives in Ireland and Sarah lives and Sasha lives in Michigan. So like there's so much more flexibility in terms of doing those things people have had to really get creative. They have, they've had to look at like, okay, what moves books? What moves copies? What gets people to pre-order? What gets them into the stores? Um, people's buying patterns have changed. People have had to look really closely at like, okay, so what's going on politically? Like, are people in the stores? Like, are people spending money? Like, at the beginning, it was all about like saving indie bookstores. And now it's like, okay, how do we keep that going? I think it's been really interesting and instructive for publishers. I don't know if they're going to learn anything from it long-term, but I mean, I for one would love to have sort of all the traditional trappings of like a book party, you know, but I think until this is over, we're not going to see it until there's a functioning vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Which let's hope it happens quick. It's It's going to be like two years. I know. Uh, I know. 
I need events <laughs> next summer. like a gigantic bummer, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally fine. Um, do you, all right, let me look at my next question. Sorry. Do you think though that COVID, I'm not sure how the sales are with things, but do you think this is going to affect publishers taking risks on work that maybe if we were in a healthy economy, they would have taken? I feel like, I mean, maybe it's really hard to say because at this point, no one knows what's going to work in a very real way. People are like, "Eh, sure, why not? About so many things. Um, Because it's hard to tell while we're in the middle of it, if this is going to be like a recession, like any other, or if this is going to be like a, oh no, this is like getting real bad. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, publishing weathered World War Two. So, you know, I think that they're sort of like, well, you know. Yeah. We're still here. It's really, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I, I think that right now everyone's kind of just because everything that's being bought now is being bought with the understanding that it's gonna be publishing into a different world. Because it'll be I mean, right now, things that are bought right now are like twenty late twenty twenty one at the earliest twenty twenty two. You know? So they're assuming that in two years everything's gonna be different. And I think that the fact that anything is being bought at all is like a giant sign of optimism because it's like, well, there will still be a world to publish books into. <laughs> Theoretically, yeah. <laughs> so, I Maybe. I like the optimistic approach, honestly. Right? I really do. Me too. <laughs> I need it. Um, That's what, what the alcohol is for. Yeah, for exactly. Cheers. What, what do you... <laughs> <laughs> what is your biggest focus then for the rest of 2020 and then 2021? Like, are you gearing yourself up for something particular? Like, do you go in and be like, all right, I have this game plan now. This is how we're going to do things. I mean, sort of. I, I haven't really signed anyone new in a while. Um, I was working on getting like the stuff that I had in development out. And I mean, I did sign Ellen Kushner, which is very exciting. Amazing. For me. Uh, I, I love know. her. I, I love her work. Oh my God. I'm actually co-agenting her with Susie Townsend, who is, a, who is just like a wizard. And I'm just like, teach me your ways. Um, <laughs> but I haven't signed anyone new in a long time. So I'm really excited to like find new people, bring new, you know, new blood onto my list. So that's, that's going to be my focus for the rest of uh, 2020. So I'm excited. That's amazing. So we have um, a couple of our questions from our Discord channel. Ooh, Discord. Um, I'm, oh, in like yeah. a, I'm in like a, a Discord for like a hockey podcast I support. It's the only Discord. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I I'm it. an old. Like, <laughs> I think these Tampa Bay Lightning people are terrible. <laughs> it's like, I, I concur. <laughs> um, so this one comes from Amelia. What do you look for in a query letter? I mean, I skim query letters. I, I like to think of the, the way that I've always described query letters is it is the substitute for the person in the bookstore, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, I pulled something off the shelf because I think it looks interesting and I go to the flap copy. I'm like, huh, all right, that sounds interesting. And then I'll read the first page. So it's got to have something that grabs me. If, if it's like overwritten or if it's like giving me like way too much information, I'm sort of like, oh. <laughs> but really it just needs to be sort of concise and interesting enough to make, to get me to the pages because that's really what will get me into it. Okay. But yeah. also all agents read queries with the understanding that like writing marketing copy is not author's strong suits. <laughs> so <laughs> that's I good like to hear. authors worry a lot about queries and I'm just like, no, actually we know that you're all very bad at this. It's, it's fine. 
it's a daunting task too. And I know that's right. why it's not fun. Lot- I know it's not fun, yeah. but um. no. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that because um, I'm not going to name the agent. Um, but I took uh, a future scape workshop and one of the agents, we did this week long manuscript review. And so in our class and she was like, listen, I'm just letting you know that um, I don't ever read my query letters. I read the first page. If the first page works for me, I'll send it. She goes, but don't take my advice because people will read your query letters. I personally just don't. I go right to the first page. That's, so I mean, I, I for a long time, I didn't really read queries query letters i sort of was like skip to the writing because the the writing is ultimately what decides but it, it's also very helpful the, the the thing that i think of as a query uh, of as being helpful for a query letter is that it shows me that you know how to think about your work in the context of the genre that you want to be published into so yeah. for me i'm looking at like do you have comp titles that are current do you have an understanding of what's being published now do you have an understanding about like the emotional character arcs of your book enough to sort of like talk about them in the query, because those are the things that are really going to kind of keep me going. If I read a query and it's like, this is going to outsell Harry Potter. And I'm like, Oh, oh yeah, please. <laughs> like, like delusional party of one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is every agent's dream to find the book that will outsell Harry Potter. Of course. I, I will yeah. not say no to it, <laughs> especially now. But, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, JK. Oh, Tom Stoppard signed that letter in support of her. And I was like, Tom Stoppard, I'm so disappointed in you. I uh, I was just saying this to in our Discord channel. I feel like the lizard people have kidnapped JK Rowling. And mm. this creature who is talking now is not her. Someone but actually had a really... Someone actually... I mean, I, I think it was alas on tumblr of all terrible places because that is still a place that i go in the year of our lord 2020 i love Um, just so you know i love it i love it i mean i love a chronological timeline (laughs) (laughs) i'm a simple creature but someone was like you know it's it's really easy to trace it's like QAnon. it's like you can trace someone being radicalized from their from a very real fear of women being victimized to like mm-hmm. reading posts that sound scientific into craziness. Like yeah. it was, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic and understandable and also infuriating because I'm like, I really <laughs> loved those books Yeah, yeah. in a way that I don't think I can really describe. And now I can't think about them Same without here. thinking about her being like a fucking monster. And I'm just like, yeah, anyway. I just, I just can't with her. I, it sucks because I loved those books and they were a huge influence of just, just writing and finding magic in books again, you know, and now she's just crazy. And when those I, books and have I know, their problems, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, I, I, what, what, what kills me about it is I wasn't, I was never a huge fan of the books. And I know this is, this probably upsets uh, Will a little bit when I say this, but I, I, I watched all the movies and all that. And, but my wife and my kids and my in-laws are really, really into them, you know, and I have a young kid who's trans as well. And like, I haven't had the heart, like we haven't had that conversation on any level because how do you, I don't know how to have that conversation. You know what I mean? It's like how disappointing it is for me and my wife, you know, my wife's on a whole different level of fandom with this. The last event, the last thing we did before COVID hit was we went and saw the cursed child in San Francisco with my in-laws. And it's like all of that. And then all of this happened. It's like, Oh, I don't even know I, what to do. You I know? can't even imagine. And I, I think about, 
when the last movie came out, maybe there was mm. some event and it was JK Rowling and like the whole cast of the movies. And she gave this beautiful speech that like still makes me cry. I want to watch it where she was like, Hogwarts will always be there to welcome you home. And I'm like, why would you go and put a fucking caveat on that? Right. Like exactly. what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, ugh. Anyway, yeah. what were you talking about? Let's talk about something different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm giving myself a there. sad. Like, but, <laughs> that's but okay. that, real quick though, I know we have a few <laughs> more questions from our Discord channel, and a, a couple questions that we usually ask at the end. Um, how are you on time? We're at the hour mark. This is my job. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Good father time. Like, <laughs> yeah, we call him Father Time. Yeah, drink up, Jen. Drink up. <laughs> okay. So uh, we'll finish. Uh, we'll do these questions, and then yeah, we should be good. Okay. Imagine Thanks. me doing this panel live at MoCon, and you can imagine what MoCon's like. <laughs> I told Maurice that he gets a do-over on his birthday since this was supposed to be his like birthday MoCon, and I was right. just like, "You're just gonna get." I mean, because I actually literally my 35th birthday is tomorrow, and I oh, have happy birthday. birthday. Thank you. I had like plans for my birthday. It was going to be yeah. huge. And I was like, I guess I'll go to dinner. <laughs> Outside. <laughs> DoorDash. I was going to rent the ice rink. Like it was going to be a whole thing. Oh, that sounds amazing. Next year I turned 35 again. So there you go. Amen. <laughs> Maurice is turning 50 again for MoCon. He so is. we're yeah. fine. Yeah. There exactly. we go. So this, this question is from Constance in our discord. And she said, uh, some, this is funny because this kind of touches on what we were talking about. Um, some agents request a synopsis that shows the dry plot points. Others say a little voice should be evident in the synopsis. In your opinion, how much personality should be injected in this portion of a submission? Oh, uh, I do not care, but <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really have a preference. I mean, it's, a little voice is always fun, but like really a, a synopsis is like purely, I mean, honestly, I use a synopsis so that like, if I get to page 50 in a book and I'm kind of feeling like, I like this, but I'm a little worried about the direction. I read the synopsis to be like, are you going to do something dumb that I hate in the next hundred pages? <laughs> and if you're going to do something dumb that I hate, I'm probably going to be like, you're doing something dumb that I hate and this isn't for me. But also it's useful for later on because, um, uh, oftentimes when your book's going to acquisitions or your book is getting passed around for film and television, not everyone can read the entire book before they make a decision on it. So the synopsis is, is really like a, a, a tool that is for people who do not have time to read the whole book to get a sense of the rest of the plot. So mm. if you are one of those people who can inject voice into a synopsis, like Mazel Tov, you're a wizard. Like, <laughs> go for it. But I, I think also a dry, boring synopsis is fine. Like, I like to know, like, yes, so, so-and-so so stabs so-and-so, and then the book is over. Like, that's also fine. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, <laughs> this one is from uh, Debbie. If an interested agent contacts you, what questions should you ask the prospective agent? I mean, I think the big questions are, uh, what do you think of the book? Do you think it needs work? You know, for them to, you know, describe the work that you think, that they think needs done um because you want to make sure that the vision that that they see your book the way you see your book um because often i've heard I, i've heard from clients where they're like yeah i was speaking to this off this agent and then they were like yeah this needs to be like a thriller but this is like a quiet contemporary novel and i just didn't feel comfortable doing that like you gotta you gotta know your own book and know the book that you want to write um mm -hmm. so that when you hear that feedback, you can be like, oh, actually, you know, that does make sense. Like, 
this is, you know, this is a good way to like make the second half better or whatever. Also, they should be able to very clearly explain to you um, their agency's commission structure, um, their agency's um, policies for most things, like the the roles everyone in the agency plays. Like they should be able to describe like their foreign rights strategy, their film strategy if they have one. Um, because even if they don't have that stuff in house, like you should be able to know what strategy is in those departments. Um, I'm very lucky that I'm at an agency now that where it's like a one-stop shop. Like we've got film, we've got foreign, we've got marketing and branding. Mm -hmm. Actually for like the three weeks that I was interviewing with New Leaf, um, my sister was like, I was like, Oh, I spoke with Joanna today. And Abby was like, Oh, is this uh, in-house marketing and branding? I was like, (laughs) 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 Um, you know, they should be able to speak to those things. Um, they should also be able to speak to sort of their communication style and uh, the way that they set expectations around like submissions and communication. Um, because even if they're not able to sort of like execute to that level all the time, um, like I have a conversation with my clients where if we're sending a book out on submission, I'm like, okay, it's out on submission. When do you want to hear news? Do you want to hear when I find it, when I get a pass, do you want to hear every month? Do you need to hear every two weeks that nothing's happening? Like, and as best as I can, I will try and hit that metric. Um, I also think that like the most important question isn't even like a question. It's just sort of like, do you like them? Do you like talking with them? Because you're going to be spending so much fucking time talking to them. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. more time than like your spouse at some points. <laughs> like, you know, it's going to be something where you're going to be talking with them every week for the next however many years so like them it helps mm-hmm. if you like them yeah <laughs> i think <laughs> for sure sense. so this question is from dan and he's and this is a three-part question so i'm going to read the three Love parts a three I, can part always, question. I know don't you them <laughs> um <laughs> Are pitching drink up drink up um <laughs> Are pitching agents at cons and writing events legitimate? Do agents really use them as a way to find new authors? Actually, it's four parts, so just hang in there. Um, Some cons charge for these pitch sessions. Do you feel like it's a scam? And is it an ideal situation? Or should we just be saving money for just a query? I have gotten several uh, clients from conferences. So, I mean, I feel like it's up to you. Like, don't feel like you have to spend money on a conference for that personal connection because it, it may or may not work out. And if you would rather not spend the money, it's totally fine to just query. I mean, my favorite found someone at a conference story is uh, the book frozen crown, which comes out in January. I met this author at a conference called the work conference in New York, which is actually a great conference. If they ever do it in person again, everyone should do it because it's a lot of fun. It's very small, very intimate. And, um, I had the first 10 pages of her manuscript and all I had were questions. I was just like, these aren't critiques so much as questions Mm -hmm. about this book. And really I need you to send this book to me tomorrow so that I can read it because I want to rep it very badly. And someone else offered before me and I was just like, no, fuck that guy. You've got to sign with me. <laughs> and we sold the book for like a lot of money to HarperCollins when it comes out next year. So 
when agents do these conferences, we're absolutely looking to get out there. We're absolutely looking to find people. And um, it's really up to the individual person to decide whether or not that's worth it for them. I mean, I would never, I would hate to feel like someone felt like they had to pay to get access to me because my query inbox is always open. Um, So what I would say is like, rather than like looking at like the sort of pitching opportunities, like if you're at a conference, like are there workshops that an agent is giving? Are there opportunities to like network and mingle with agents? Because that almost is a little bit more helpful where you can say like, actually, I do like this person or actually, no, it doesn't seem like the books that they're talking about are not the things that I actually am excited about writing. Um, you know, what, what can you learn and what can you do with that conference aside from pitching the agents? And then I think like once you're spending like the 150, once you've decided that spending the $150 to go to the conference is worth it, spending the like, because honestly the money usually goes partially to the agents and that kind of supplements our income. So we appreciate it greatly as well. Um, but we're, but we're not doing it necessarily because we're just like, I will listen to none of these pitches and sign none of these clowns. Like we're doing it because we want, like we're not sitting there for like fucking two days to not sign people. Like we want to find things. Right. So this is what I feel like. I love shipping and handling. I love when you and Bridget um, talk to each other. <laughs> Because the one thing I've really learned from your podcast is truly about finding the right person for your book. That and I thought you were going to say you, it depends. No, no, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Because I yeah. do love your show, Jen, and I and yeah, I. We, and, it depends. So we I love those. I love that enamel answer. pins before all this started. We were like, we're going to make enamel pins and have them be like supporter rewards, and then China shut down. And we we're like. Well, I guess that's dumb. <laughs> well, we would buy them. Okay, just saying. Yeah, for, sure, for sure. Okay, for sure. <laughs> Delightful. Um, no, because I feel like it really taught me a couple things about getting the right person for your book and really not just opening a book or doing research on it and just sending it to like 50 people. Like really be selective about, you know, who you want um, your agents to be, that it's really about finding that great partnership. And I think that I love that I'm learning that from you. Well, and and the thing that I also want to point out to people is that that will change over time. And the person who is the perfect agent for you at the beginning of your career, as your needs change, that, that might change. And that's not a bad thing. Like, it's always sad to sort of have to say goodbye to someone and say like, you know, you're not the person I need right now, but like your needs change and being honest about that is also important. I think that not enough authors kind of take that on. They're like, I, I pledged my trust to this person and I must stay with them forever. And it's like, actually, no, it's not, it's not a binding. It's like, you can say no. It's yeah. I. <laughs> So we have um, a question from Barbara, and she asks um, two two part question: What is on your wish list, and are you open to unsolicited queries, etc.? Definitely open to queries. Um, on my wish list, I want something fun. Like I love fun things, and that definition is very broad. Like I love a romp, I love a heist, I love a murder. <sighs> I love a crime, like anything in any genre combination is just like if like Westing game in space. 
<laughs> the sky's the limit. I mean, I just want to be entertained at this point. At this point, I'm just like, you want me to think? Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's too much. Right. Dislike. Dislike. <laughs> <laughs> I have been trying to read how much of these hills is gold for like six months. And I'm just like, it's too literary. I just think I can't do it. I'm just like, yeah. I just, I'm so, I'm so upset every time I open the book. I'm like, I recognize that this writing is beautiful, but also I'm so stressed out on behalf of these characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I bought it in hardcover, you know, just like yeah. fuck. But <laughs> yeah, twenty twenty, just doing us all types of well. Right? Can I tell you during quarantine, I read probably a hundred mystery novels. Really? Just like wow. fucking mm-hmm. Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers, Marjorie <gasps> Allingham, just like old British people in fucking <laughs> manor houses solving crimes. I read so many and it was great. It was like just Ooh. balm for my brain. <laughs> right? We just did an episode where we all read and then there were none by Agatha Christie. <gasps> and there's just something let about let murder about that the terrible original title of that. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Didn't read that edition. Real racist. Just real racist. <laughs> also once disappeared for many days. And then reappeared, checked into a hotel under her husband's mistress's name. Ah, <laughs> uh, problematic. Well, yeah. <laughs> but there's something like, to be said about murder that just cheers us up in the middle of um, a I pandemic. I literally, I wrote my thesis, my college thesis on mystery novels, like British mm-hmm. mystery novels about like why they became so popular and why they remain so popular. And it's the fantasy of the resolution, Mm, the fantasy of someone can come into a community and identify the thing that is making the community, the problem, i.e. the murderer. And then they remove that. And then the community can be fine again. It's, it's a fantasy of like being able to live an unstressed life for real. So we do have a oh. one. We have a. Uh, I know all of us are just like, oh, sigh. Um, we have a last minute question that just popped up in Discord. Um, <gasps> Bring bum, it. Bum, bum. Yep. Um, how do you deal with writers that aren't very consistent with their output? Being that a lot deal with mental illness or other things that make it hard to stick with things for long periods. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> pull the rest of that alcohol in there. You're yeah. like, None of my clients are like that. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: I like to know as much as I can up front, because without judgment, it is hard for me to get people the space that they need if I don't know what like the issues are. So. Mm-hmm that's actually another uh, another thing that you should ask your agent when you're talking to them is like, okay, what are your expectations for like output? Because that will be very instructive. I have some clients who are like, I have written a book. It has been two months. Would you like to read it, please? And I'm like, wow, that is very fast. And then I have clients <laughs> who are like, I am, I am going off to the mountains to write a book. Please do not speak to me until I have emailed you to tell me that it is done. You know, and it is helpful to me to know that up front and to sort of manage that. Regardless, if anything ever comes up, I just need to know. Like, I need to not be worried about someone. 
So usually what I'll do is I'll kind of check in and be like, hey, you know, deadline's in like a month. Like, how are you feeling? Do I need to go and ask for more time? Because the more time, the, 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 more, the, the more advanced warning I can give the publisher to say like, hey, so-and-so is having a real rough fucking year because everything is garbage. You know, the, the better it is. Because mm-hmm. if publishers don't know, then they just assume that it's all fine. But most of the time, they're actually really cool. They're just like, that's legit. Like, everything is on fire. I, I think I've had to ask for extensions for like six people this year. Yeah. Because everything is just like, terrible. So well, if you live in California like me, it's literally on fire. So it's, oh my God. it's crazy. California, Oregon, and Seattle. Yeah. I used to just it's have insane. to send emails to people in California. And now it's just like, mm-hmm. hey, West Coast. Yeah. How you doing? What? We live in this entire region. Are you, you gonna? Right? Are you okay? Is everything on fire? Is, are you good? Do oh, I need to send man. you stuff? Like, are you good? Um, but no, I mean, the the one thing I would say that like I feel like a lot of authors that I talk to at conferences and stuff are like, oh, I just I just don't want to bother my agent. I'm like, it's literally our job to be bothered. It is literally our job to you know answer your questions and you know assuage your fears. Like, if we don't know about it, we can't mm-hmm. mitigate for it, you know? So I just always tell people to, like, listen, even if you feel embarrassed, even if you feel like there, it's not a good reason, like, tell me. Because, right. you know, fuck a publisher. Like, they've got a million other books. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, whatever. You turned it into monthly. Fuck it. Like, who cares? Yeah. Have you actually ever seen when someone doesn't hit, like, a deadline? That the publisher actually like totally gets mad about it. Just stories I've heard is just they're like, oh, okay, we'll get it to when we can. Most of the time that doesn't happen, but there have been cases like the most famous one is the guy who wrote um Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Mm-hmm. Um because he I wrote, love that show. <laughs> <laughs> um he wrote Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, and then I think he had one more book under contract that they were like, it's gonna be an original thing. It's not pastiche. And I know about this because it was written about in like six different outlets. So I was like, this is the thing that happened. And he wrote something that was a pastiche and tried to turn it in. And then they sued him to oh, like wow. get the advance back. Wow. Dang. But like most of the time it's like, and also most of the time, the way that they, the way that publishers deal with non non delivery, which is, the technical term is if you know you deliver a book that they don't deem acceptable or if you just never write it they either are like okay the contract is canceled and you owe us the money but you can pay us the money if you sell that book somewhere else but if you never sell it somewhere else it's like right it depends mm-hmm. on the contract sometimes they're like sometimes they're like you need to give us that money back um <laughs> But most of the time, there there are sort of structures built into the contract to allow authors to like revise and like take the time. But can I so, ask one more like, question? If you give someone like enough time, like it's yeah. like whatever. Yeah, yeah. ask away. Okay. You're getting in there before um, I was. I got about nowhere to, to go. Well. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Where can I go? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm in this room now. <laughs> no, I understand that. Um, what do you do? Like Anne Leckie, um, who wrote the Ancillary Justice series, um, she had a conversation with her um, 
agent basically saying, you know, I don't want to do a book a year. I can do a book every two years. Are you comfortable as an agent? Are you okay with that? Like, do you feel like that's a good sense of like, I totally get it? Honestly, that's great because if someone knows their own output well enough to be able to like time their output that well, that's Mm -hmm. great. You know, not everyone has to be a book a year author, especially like, I mean, I feel like apart from romance, romance, I think is the one exception because romance authors expect a book every year from their favorite authors. Mm -hmm. But for most other genres, it's like, yeah, actually, like I'm fine with a book every two years from my favorite author. Being able to know your own output and gauge it accurately and then actually accurately predict it Mm -hmm. is Great, because the worst thing is over-promising and under-delivering. You're like, yeah, no, totally, I can do a book every year. I can do a book every year. And then you're like, oh, no, wait, I hate everything, and I cannot do a book every year. <laughs> like, then you've disappointed people, and then you've dis- you know, you have that feeling of disappointment in yourself. So, yeah, I mean, I have, I have a client who just writes really fucking slowly, and she's just like, yeah, you'll get it when you get it. And, like, I, I love that. Great. Like, all right, just, fair enough. Yeah, great, <laughs> fabulous. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Being honest about like what you need and what you can do. And this is lessons that like, this is a lesson that I have needed to learn because like I overpromise and underdeliver all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, being honest about it just makes the working relationship with you and all of your business partners so much better. I'm sure. Marshall, did you want to ask away? Uh, No, I'm doing my time thing. And so, uh, before we get to the very last uh, deal, are there any other questions from the two of you before we do the our last question? Our last two questions. Yeah, Nick, you good, Nick? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got, I got nothing. I'm just enjoying every answer no, that I, we're, we're getting. We're, I'm so. so stoked to have you here, Jen. I can't <laughs> even tell you. Like, this is so much fun. So fun. It's been a blast. So uh, the the last two things we normally do is the f- before we get to our very very last question. Normally, what we do is ask uh, folks to uh, talk about what they're excited about, uh, you know, things they have coming up, and social media stuff, and how people can find you after this. Like things I'm excited about right now. Um, so the books that I just had coming out in sep- just had come out in September. I'm very excited about still, um, even if we break and smash it. Um, and then in December we have, uh, a certain hunger by Chelsea Summers. Um, and then social media. Oh man, I can be found and on plug your podcast as well, please. Cause it's I amazing. I can be found on the podcast shipping and handling, which is on iTunes as shipping and handling, uh, shipping and handling podcast.com. Um, then my personal social media, everything is suddenly Jen. So I'm suddenly Jen on Instagram and Twitter and Please don't friend me on Facebook. It's mostly from my parents. <laughs> I feel you. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a good, good warning. <laughs> I know. Awesome. Facebook is like, for family. <laughs> Facebook is for family. And I keep trying to quit it. And then I just am like, oh, I fucking can't. Mm-hmm. But, I feel that pain. All right. Well, you Do get you to ask me- the last one. Yeah. Great. So I like asking, we usually have this for like our, any authors who are on board, but I want to ask you, what keeps you agenting? Like what makes you still love what you do? The feeling I have when I can call someone and say, someone wants to buy your book. 
is just, I mean, I can't, I cannot describe it. It is just the best feeling because someone worked so hard to write a book and then I, you know, went off and did my thing and and tried to sell it. And then getting an offer, just coming back and being like, yes, someone wants to buy it. Someone wants to publish it. Like they want to have a call with you. It's just, it's the best feeling. And, you know, auctions are great. Auctions are really great. (laughs) But like, even if there's only one person in the mix, like that feeling of like someone wants this is, is just the best feeling. And to be able to kind of like deliver that feeling over and over to someone, be like someone, someone loves the writing. Someone loves the shit that you're doing. Someone thinks that you're great. It, it, it just, it doesn't get old. It, it does not get old. It's so good. That's awesome. That is That's great. Like the best answer. Yeah. Like I'm over here. I'm getting antsy. Like, oh my gosh, you're telling me <laughs> someone wants to buy she's, my book. She's not talking you're, to you. You're, not talking I know. Yeah. I know. But your energy, <laughs> you know, it's contagious. Well, we really appreciate you spending time with us today, oh, Jen. We really so much fun. And we really hope we can do it again. We're big fans of Maurice. We've known him forever and and we love all of we just we just love having you and just stoked to have you here today. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Thank we had you a great so much. time. And anytime. Anytime. Just just let me know. I literally we might have to do have every no two months <laughs> wine with Jen. We'll be like, Jen, we'll send you some wine, you know. <laughs> This has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. Check out our website at justkeepwriting.org. You can find links to our social media and Discord channel in the show notes, as well as any other links mentioned during the show. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. Thanks for listening. Now just keep writing.